You're listening to a Stranger podcast. www.thestranger.com. If you're stuck in a relationship quandary, or if you're looking for sexual harmony, well, there's nothing you can't ask on the Savage Lovecast. Welcome to a very special installment, a very special episode of the Savage Lovecast. We've banked some. Uh, SM and kink and bondage calls and invited in a very special guest expert because I personally know nothing about SM, kink, and bondage. Um, Mistress Matisse, who's a columnist for The Stranger and a blogger and uh, professional and, dominatrix. And just generally a pervert. And, and generally a pervert. And uh, I know this is pseudo radio and you can't see, but she's fucking beautiful. Oh, so thank you, Dan. If you're listening way out in the middle of nowhere somewhere, you want to run to your computer, Google Mistress Matisse, and it'll take you right to your blog. Yes, it will. Um, thanks for coming in. No, thanks for having me. I'm very pleased to be here. <laughs> uh, the phone number here, if you want to record a call for a future show, 206-201-2720. But we're going to get right to the kink calls. Is that all right? Let's go. And then we'll chat. Hi, Dan. I'm a 24-year-old straight female, and my husband and I have a question for you. We've been talking about what turns us on, and after listening to your podcast, I now know that I'm into submission. I want nothing more than for my man to take control, tie me up, and fuck me to his heart's delight. But after a series of conversations, we've discovered that he is turned on by similar thoughts, only it's me taking control. What suggestions do you have for two people who both want the other one to be dominant in the bedroom? We've got a call right at the top to give you a really bad impression of the general intelligence level of the callers because it wouldn't it didn't seem to occur to her to take fucking turns. They couldn't work their way to that on their own. But what would your advice? My advice would be take fucking turns. That take fucking turns really is the advice here. Yeah, this is a really common issue that you see people coming into the community, people who have been married, they love each other, it's all great, and they both figure out they're kinky and they're both want to be bottoms. bottoms. Yeah. And Do most people want to be bottoms in BDSM team. The bottom is sort of the focus of a lot of the attention. Yeah. And it's also a, a sort of less scary thing to do than sort of, you know, wielding implements that you may not be familiar with or sort of taking responsibility for things that you're not really sure you know how to do and possibly looking like an idiot. That's where blindfolds come in handy. Exactly. That's really a handy thing. They can't see you. I always take off my high heels immediately when the blindfold <laughs> goes on. Those shoes come off and then I'm very happy again. Um, so, so yeah. The blindfold is so the person can't see you stumbling around. I mean, it's a good thing for someone who's a novice who's yeah. not Top Excuse me, I don't stumble. You know, just, well, not but, you. Yeah. <laughs> Totter around in your high heels, maybe, but never stumble. Um, it's a good thing for a novice top to blindfold the bottom so you're not self-conscious about being observed as you fumble it, with whatever it is you're using. It, it is. All that really works better on women than men. Men are really visually stimulated, and you kind of sometimes you really lose guys that way. So it, it, the blindfold is a good thing um, if that works. But also, I, you know, I think you put too much pressure on themselves to be perfect first crack out of the box. It's like your husband and both these people know that the other one is just getting started. So I don't think either one of them will expect the other one to be this, like, perfect, seamless, you know, porn star kind of top first crack out of the box so I think that yeah take turns and understand that you're going to mess up sometimes and where should they and, start? Uh, well it sort of depends on you know what they didn't say what their kinks were but I mean you know, tying someone up and fucking them is sort of the classic way to begin all this stuff isn't it uh, so you know, get yourself some nice, uh, easy cuffs that buckle and unbuckle, and get yourself some rope, and start you know doing some really basic tie someone's wrists together and fuck them. And and your fantasies are always going to run a lot further and a lot uh, deeper than what you can actually do. But 
just because it doesn't look like like the porn movies or like your fantasies, don't discount it. Um, and, and you got to get there by baby steps. No one's swinging yeah. from the ceiling by their ankles in a dungeon the very first time they have SM sex. Hopefully. Not very many people know. Uh, so so yeah, you need to give yourself credit. Understand it's not going to be perfect. And you know, I make mistakes in my scenes now. I just don't admit that. But <laughs> <laughs> but everyone can stream them live onto the internet. Uh, no, no, I don't. I don't know. Um, what I thought was also interesting about the culture, tw- she's twenty four. And married. Mm-hmm. And I think this happens way too often. People need to have this conversation about sex and, and, and do these disclosures before they're fucking married. Not that you wouldn't have ended up married anyway and in love. And, you know, there are bottoms who marry bottoms who work it out, double under dildos, whatever. But the time to have the conversation where you lay it all out is before you're at the altar. Well, that would be best, yeah. I mean, we sort of assume that they knew and just didn't say. It is possible that they just hadn't figured it out because, you know, straight people, they don't really think about that stuff so much. It would negatively impact your income stream, though, if everybody disclosed. A lot of professional dominators <laughs> see the guys who married the women, <laughs> then disclose or never disclose. That, that never disclose is more often. But, yeah, and, and especially, I think, I think, if anything, men usually figure it out later than women. Uh, women will kind of go, hey, you know, this is making, but guys are like, no, I'm, I'm working, I'm, you know, building a career, I'm doing all these manly things, and then kind of go, oh, I'm 45, and, huh, I think this stuff makes my dick hard. So what should I do about that? Um, and what some of them do is come to see me, which is great. <laughs> Thanks, guys. How's it going, Dan? Uh, my name's Chris. I'm a 25-year-old gay male. My ex, who I still currently have sex with, uh, is like a lot of callers and into rape fantasies and being tied up and humiliated and whatnot. And that's all fine with me. But, and this is the twist that I have yet to hear on any of your calls, when he gets fucked, he turns into a child like at first it was like calling me daddy and stuff like that which i was like all right whatever but then it became gaga goo goo like acting like a little baby like a like a baby um he really only seems to revert into this child persona when he's drunk and uh it's kind of weird because you know when you're fucking someone and they start making baby sounds, it's a little unsettling. I know that, like, I know, I know for a fact, because of his past sexual history, he's pretty sure he was molested by some of his family. Uh, he's had a lot of mental and physical abuse. And he also mentions that the first few times he had sex was with much older men, a couple of which were a seriously really real priest and Nazi who drugged him and took advantage of him. Um, So I'm kind of torn because I don't know if by me playing out these fantasies with him because he takes it to a dark place, it's healthy for him, or maybe it's just not in in my kink and that's why it weirds me out. But I really just want to know about this baby shit, or what? You know it's going to be a good call when it begins with, you know, we're gay, and my lover likes to be tied up and dominated and humiliated. Now here's the twist. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that was, um, yeah, yeah. I want to say, okay, if he's your ex, then you're still sleeping with him, then he's really not your ex, is he? Isn't that? He's your current something. Maybe is, not yeah. your primary partner, your life partner, not somebody you picture yourself with in five or ten years, but you're having recreational sex with the dude, so you have some tie to him. Baby talk, infantilism. 
run, run, run away. See, that is what I would do in this situation. And I have I have had partners who kind of, yeah, you're doing an SM scene with them, and all of a sudden they kind of go somewhere else with it, especially to the child place. Uh, this guy's got issues. I'm sure he's you know not an evil person or anything, but he has got issues that you cannot fix, and I don't think you should be playing with them in bed. And, hello, he didn't really get your consent from this. I mean, at least you didn't tell us that he got your consent from this. And just because you're the top and he's the bottom doesn't mean that you don't need to be down with what's going on. That would totally freak me out if someone was saying, goo goo gaga, like in the middle of a scene, and I wasn't ready for it, and I didn't know what they meant by it. Yeah, that would flip me right out, and I would stop the scene and go, whoa, we need to like kind of grow you back up now and be a big person and talk to me about what the hell you're doing with this. Because <laughs> that's weird. Yeah, that would be sort of a boner obliterating moment for me, too. Uh, however, there are people into age play, and there are people into infantilism, and there's a huge crossover, and there's a huge overlap. You did a Venn diagram of, like, bondage and S&M and age play. There is a, a little bit of overlap, particularly for the infantilists, because a lot of age play is about, you know, total loss of authority mm-hmm. and agency, um, which can slip over into S&M, but... It's really kind of, you know, a head trip, I think, for a top to be put in this position without a, a mother, may I, where you're suddenly, you know, cast in the role of a baby rapist yeah. in this person's fantasy scenario. There are people into it. He can go find one, perhaps. I also think he should explore his sexual history in therapy. Yeah, he needs therapy. This guy needs therapy. Um, and... And this is one of the things that I say, cause, just because I have Tourette's and I shouldn't say it. You know, somebody who has a lot of kinks, uh, there are people out there who want to be spanked, who were never smacked around as a child. There are people out there into S&M who were never abused. There are people into age play who were never molested. But a lot of people feel, particularly when they're young, that they have to justify their kinks by pointing to something that was done to them earlier in their lives as the root cause, because it absolved them of all responsibility. And when somebody trots out a scenario where they're, you know, drugged and dragged off, and raped and castles by Catholic priests, it raises a red credibility flag. Not saying it didn't happen, but it's kind of convenient that it happened that way. And you might want to nail them down about that. I'm glad you said that because, yeah, I was thinking the same thing going, yeah, okay, sure. I mean, yeah, you know, I'm sure there's something happened to this man that upset him as a child. Yeah, you do kind of think, really. So as a long-term professional kingster, how do you react to the question that, you know, or the assertion that a lot of people make that uh, people who are mentally, physically abused as children are into S&M as adults and that S&M is evidence of some psychological damage or failing or you need therapy or help to eradicate? I, I would say there's me who actually was not mentally or physically or sexually abused as a child. In fact, I had the most leave it to beaver childhood you can imagine uh, and I always was kinky and was kinky as a child and used to like tie up my neighbor children and dolls and stuff. So, it, you know, yeah, I know people who were abused who are kinky and were abused or not. I mean, yeah, there's no there's, there's no causation and correlation thing happening there. Just And even if there is, let's just accept that there is, mm-hmm. that people who are abused are likelier to be kinky. If they're healthy about their kinks, haven't they turned whatever sort of psychological ripples are still playing out from their abuse into a kind of like... Lemonade. I mean, there are people who are acting out of like really unhealthy patterns and taking it out of themselves. And they can take it out of themselves with food. They can take it out of themselves with drugs. Take it out of themselves with sex. But if somebody's like processed and and healthy about whatever shit they went through as a child, and then can accept that oh, it had this impact on my sex life, and I can enjoy this stuff now in a healthy way, Mm -hmm. even if I even if you know you granted 
that it was tied to that, so the fuck what? I'm with you. I'm totally, yeah. You're, yeah. Imagine We're in violent agreement. We're in violent agreement. <laughs> God forbid we should get somebody in here I disagree with sometime to be a that person-shaped hole in the wall. Right? <laughs> Hi. Um, um, I'm calling about a previous podcast where someone called in about kinky Catholic guys. And uh, technically I'm a lesbian, um, so guys aren't necessarily my thing, um, or people with penises generally. But Catholic stuff is so hot, and I just wanted to say that, like, there's something fun to be played with as far as, like, kinky religious imagery, and, like, you know, I grew up with um, an evangelical Protestant background, and it warped me, I mean, in a good way, I'm, I'm good with it now, but the whole, like, get down on your knees and beg God to love you, and, you know, if, if you're just a piece of dirt and God would never love you, but if you, if you get down and you thank him and you kiss his rod enough, then, then you know, all will be well in the world and you'll be forgiven and happiness and pie in the sky and the whole thing. But seriously, like, Catholic scenes, like, if you think about priests, candles, incense, Latin, ugh, I'm so turned on by the whole idea of it. So even though I'm always being the idea of Catholic guys, really kinky Catholic guys, really, really turns me on, and that's all I wanted to share. I think we should start a betting pool about how long she's going to be a lesbian. <laughs> I think I should have paid to listen to that. That, is, um, <laughs> that was fervent, man. She was she was heartfelt about that. I've never heard a lesbian go on and on about kissing rods <laughs> while her standard issue lesbian cat mewed in the background. You, I, I, heard the, I heard the cat. I heard the cat. <laughs> Do you get people who come in for religious scenes who want to uh, go to a confession box or something? Um, yeah. I had done some stuff like that. Yeah, I, I don't do location stuff very often because you know there's all the inherent risks. But uh, but yeah, I can. I have a nun costume and I can do the whole thing. Although you know, I went to Catholic school like yourself, myself, for 12 years, and boy, none of the nuns I had looked anything like porn models. <laughs> they they were really. Did they wear habits when you were? In oh yeah, school? oh full on. Yeah, yeah, full mine, on. mine too. Yeah, and they still hit us. Yeah, uh, yeah. So I had sort of like kink, the kink nun, except not. You know, the non-consensual, not yeah, not. yeah, yeah, and they did a lot of a lot of mental torture and abuse, and uh, so I guess maybe that was my abuse background. But here's something that I wrestle with as a sex advice professional: we want everyone to be sort of healthy and have a good attitude about sex, but so much of what makes sex fun and interesting as adults is all this shit that totally <laughs> twisted us about sex from when we were kids. So, do we really want everyone to be sort of to have a really healthy have parents with really healthy attitudes about sex and be really open and encouraging and embracing? <laughs> Because we're going to eradicate you. Uh, <laughs> we're, like Ultimately, we'll work our way towards so much healthiness about sex that there'll be nobody who's kinky. I don't think that's ever going to happen in a lifetime because we may be healthy, but there are a lot of really fucked up people in the world who are <laughs> full of shame and twisted imaginations, and uh, they'll, they'll do it. And hopefully, you know, they grow up, they get healthy, but then they get to hold on to the, to the kinks and, oh, yeah. and warped Absolutely. sort of fantasies and fetishes yeah. that... Uh, you know, we're not, I have a son, we're not raising him in any faith. Sometimes I wonder if we're making a mistake, because uh, I think a huge chunk of my sex life is tied to the crazy Catholic shit I was exposed to as a child. Not that we could expose him to that shit, because when I was going to Catholic school, it's... we were transitioning from scary crow nuns with rulers who hit you to singing nuns with guitars who loved you, which itself was kind of destabilizing, because you didn't know, you'd walk into a room and you didn't know what kind of nun she was until she hit somebody. 
Because <laughs> virtually they all stopped wearing habits, but there were hitting nuns in the singing nun costume oh. and singing nuns in the singing nun costume. And you didn't know who was who that's until you got smacked. It was a good nun, bad nun thing happening. Yeah, yeah, that's a total scene. I remember the, I remember the guitars, too. We had the guitars. Uh, but... <laughs> I'm going to file it away. Good nun, bad nun. That's good. <laughs> no, I think it's funny. Are you a good nun or a bad nun? <laughs> well, you could play it both ways, too. You could you could be the top, you know, punishing the good nun and the bad nun, or you could be the nun. Well, there the are top, those so. non-novice nun scenes. Yeah, yeah. There's a whole sort of lesbian SM porn genre oh, of yeah. the abbess yeah. and the novitiate or novice nuns. Well, we could really riff on this, couldn't we? We could. Unfortunately, we'll, um, uh, there's no cat mewing in the background for us to uh, add that certain lesbian ambiance. So maybe we should move on. Hi, Dan. My name is Rachel. I'm a 20-year-old straight girl. Um, I have recently gotten involved in the past month in the uh, kink scene in my city, and it's been a lot of fun. I've been having a great time. Um... And uh, my question is about, I'm actually leaving in a month to study abroad for a semester in Japan, and I'm a little reluctant to leave this new side of myself that I've discovered behind, and I know you had mentioned previously in podcasts that you had been, you'd spent some time in Berlin, and I guess I was wondering what, if you had any advice for someone looking for fun, sexy times abroad, and with a language barrier, I speak some Japanese, but I'm not fluent at all. Um... And uh, my other concern is I will be in a college dorm uh, with a roommate and a communal bathroom, and I've never had to do that before. And so I guess I was wondering if you had any advice on um, sneaking around um, to either have sex or masturbating. Because uh, six months without any orgasms doesn't sound like fun to me. Before we get to the specifics of her question, um, and you're only over there for a fucking semester. Suffer, Christ. It's only going for four goddamn years. Um, the kink scene has an infrastructure now to really kind of bring in the newbies. Seriously. How did that spring up? Um, gay men started that, actually, so you guys can take a lot of credit for that. Um, Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think gay men were the first ones to really kind of organize things, um, and because they're a bunch of horny bastards, they created all these novel ways to get in touch with each other. Like clubs? Like pink clubs? Well, or? clubs certainly were at the beginning, and then as technology advanced and there's like websites and all these things, um, I think that the gay men kind of, in my experience, were always at the forefront of that. And and all the other sexual people kind of like followed along and said, oh, well, look at the boys doing this, and we should do that too. So we should have clubs, and we should have organizations, and we should have, you know, social events, and we should have websites. Um, so lunches. Yeah, well, yeah, I've never been yeah. to a munch. What the fuck is a munch? I've never been to a munch either, actually. But it's it's usually at a, like a, at a place like a like a Denny's or a, you know, glamorous. Well, that's kind of the whole point is it's very accessible, and you come in in your street clothes, and usually it's like a big table kind of off in a side room, and you you ask for the you know I'm with that you know blah blah group with some. You know, very anonymous name, and you go in the Knights of Columbus, so, something like Continue that. Continue the Catholic. <laughs> I'm here to be drugged and dragged away by Catholic priests. What room are they in? 
And it's, um, I, you know, people do fear that they're going to be drugged and dragged away. And it's, I, I'm, not, I'm sorry, it's going to err on the side of banal and mundane. Uh, but that's actually okay for your first uh, kink experience. So you'll go down there and there are people with their cargo shorts and their T-shirts. And, Having kinky um, pancakes. Yeah, and say, you know, hi, my name is, you know, Dan. Hi, my name is, you know, whatever. And, uh, and, and people will talk to you. And so it's a really nice, very low-pressure, you know, if unglamorous way to meet, you know, regular people who don't have two heads and uh, also work, you know, at a big software company. And, and you're to, not going into a situation where you feel some sort of pressure to allow someone to tie you up or that there's going to be any sexual expectations. You can just go get the feel, right. room the people there, and make some friends who are in the scene. Which, yeah, I mean, you can't do any of that stuff. It's a very vanilla environment. So, yeah, there's no possibility of that. And so there's no question of you, you know, having to engage or not engage. And, yeah, you make some friends, which is the way to do this rather than, you know, trying to, like, meet your one and true love. Master slave. Master slave, you know, whatever. Dear God, yes. (laughs) (laughs) So with that infrastructure sort of here and in the West, that feels like how it works kind of in the UK now and here. How do you get in in Japan? I don't know how Japanese people get in in Japan. I know that a Caucasian person going to Japan, an American Caucasian person, um, is going to have a tough time, I am told. Um, Midori, who I know you know, Mm -hmm. the lovely author and model and everything, class teacher Midori, um, has a lot of information about what it's like to kind of try and infiltrate the kink uh, scene in Japan. So you might reference her. Uh, but it might be very, very difficult. Japan is, from what I've read, the kink scene in Japan is much more cloistered and a lot and kind of paranoid about outsiders just like Japanese culture is a little paranoid about outsiders. Yeah, I have a very difficult time breaking in. That is that is my understanding of the situation as well. I mean, if she uh, this person's going to be in a school, you make friends in school, so she's, you know, in this structure where she can kind of identify some of her schoolmates that are kinky, there's some chance that she might get them to introduce her. But as you said, it's only one semester. I think you just need to get like a really quiet vibrator from Babeland um, (laughs) and just masturbate under the under the covers for for the semester. That that is what I would do. And I mean, you can buy porn in like vending machines and. Japan for and God's dirty sake. panties. And, oh, can you really? Yeah. Out of vending machines? Out of vending oh, machines. Oh, that's trippy. Quality dirty panties. So, yeah, I think I would just try to observe just that kind of street-level porn and kind of get off on that. And, and the only other option I think somebody like her would have if she wants to jump in uh, is the expat community. But the way into kinky expats is online personals. I'm going to be in yeah. Japan. I'm kinky. I'm going to be here these states. I don't have a place to play. Yeah, and you gotta, you know, you, as with anything, you need to be careful because people online, you never know who it is. But yeah, that's the other way to go. It's just it sort could of be Catholic priests who are going to drag you off to a monastery in Japan and drug you and rape you. Really? I, oh, I don't know. You never know. <laughs> Those Catholic priests and their drugs are waiting. So you're making me kind of hot talking about that. Hi, Dan. I'm a 24-year-old lady living in New York City with my boyfriend of a year. My life is pretty tame except for my job, which is professional domination. Um, now, here's my problem. The dungeon I used to be employed at was recently raided by NYPD. As a result of this raid, myself and five other women were arrested under false prostitution charges. Now, aside from all the bullshit and social injustice, my real name was printed in two major New York publications. My parents, who were happily left in the dark about what I did for money, had a very rude awakening. Things pretty much went to hell. Um, after two months of apologizing and, and coming clean about everything, things were finally getting better. 
part of making things better, though, was telling them that I wouldn't be doing this anymore, which at the time was true. But during my unemployment, I realized that I actually enjoyed doming professionally, and I've made some amazing connections and friends within the community. So I got a job at another dungeon. My question is whether I should risk being found out, or is this a situation where lying really is the best policy? There are so many questions here. Oh, man. Uh, how much time do you have? <laughs> <laughs> First, how does a professional dom operate legally? Some people look at professional domination. Pro dungeons advertise, professional doms advertise, and they think, why aren't they all being busted by the cops? Well, there's plenty of ads for women who are selling something a lot simpler than what I sell, who don't get busted <laughs> by the cops. And the reason is because the cops have other things to do, thank God. Um, so, yeah, no, but what I do is it's not, it's not illegal to do professional domination. There is a, a wealth of things. I, you know, I can do a whole scene and never actually put my hand on someone. It's all you know, verbal things, other things, role plays. But it's uh, not prostitution. Yeah, I don't, I don't fuck people and I don't suck anybody's dick. That's, you know, how, how, what it boils down to. Uh, and... And we exist because because law enforcement yeah has other things to do and they don't consider us to be a priority and I'm really glad about that. But most importantly, professional domination is not prostitution. It is not. It is well. It's, it's like role playing. It's like a fantasy scenario. There's some you know you might people may say, but the guys who come there get a boner. Therefore, it's prostitution. There are guys who go shoe shopping with their wives who get boners because they're shoe fetishists. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, you're allowed to feel any way that you feel. It's just, it's just certain sets of behaviors that I cannot engage in. And as long as I don't engage in those behaviors, I'm not doing anything illegal. And my lawyer has explained this all to me in painstaking detail, <laughs> what exactly is legal to do. And so, it's so yeah, it's a question of behaviors, not feelings. So, yes, of course, they're coming and they're, they're being excited about it and it's sexy and it turns them on. That's fine. So, um... Not to pry, but does your family know what you do for a living? Not exactly. Um, they know I'm doing something kind of funny out here. And my older brother, who's a great guy, knows that I write this column for The Stranger and uh, has read some of them and kind of is sort of aware without really wanting to think about it a whole lot of what exactly I do. Um, and my father and mother and I have a really nicely functional don't ask don't tell arrangement and I think if I tried to tell them they would put their hands on their ears and go la 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 because they don't want to know and that's fine so now, I don't this tell girl's them. parents don't want to know mm -hmm. she asks you know should she risk it she's already risking it if she's back to work yeah, in a dungeon she is risking it totally and the New York Police Department is cracking down on dungeons because of that near miss at uh, Nutcracker yeah. Street where a guy almost died after being left alone tied up yeah, in that, a yeah. stress position which is that really pissed me off stupid. yeah stupid that was that was city of stupid that was nuclear stupid yeah that was yeah. Uh, and I used to think that Nutcracker Street was better than that it's hard to get good help these days. It really <laughs> is. Um, even if somebody wants to be left alone, you shouldn't leave them alone nope. uh, in bondage. So what should she do? Like she's working in kind of a high-risk environment as a professional dom right now because the NYPD is sort of feeling the heat from the New York Post to pay attention to what's going on in these dungeons and conducting these sort of harassment raids because they're not going to make a prostitution charge stick. So she's at risk of exposure again. Yeah, she is, and she is putting herself in a, in a, in a ris risky situation. And um, it is my opinion that anytime you have a bunch of women working together, you present a really enticing uh, target for law enforcement. So there's that. If she really feels like uh, professional domination is her calling, which I completely understand because I think it's mine, uh, she should get the heck out of this group house and set up her own business. Uh, because one woman working alone has a great, um, a much better chance of not attracting undue law enforcement 
enforcement attention and just controlling what goes on around her as we, you know, like with the Nutcracker thing, if this woman's really committed to doing a good job, she can make sure that accidents like that don't happen in her space, and that's always a good thing. And going solo means you can, well, keep the entire hourly fee for yourself, but you can also establish... Uh, a group of clients that you're familiar with is mm-hmm. less risky. It, much less so. Um, and she doesn't have to put her you know, face on her website. She doesn't have to put her real name on her website. Uh, so she can kind of limit her family exposure in that way. Uh, you just have a lot more control when you work for yourself and you work alone. And I know. But it's a- what, are, what are the startup costs of going into professional domination? You know, the really grand thing about being a dominant woman is that, you know, I, I when I started, I had this little ramshackle building. It was terrible. And I had a bunch of my guys build stuff for me. To use on them. To use on them. And it was awesome. I mean, they built me furniture. They, you know, like painted my walls. It's like, I mean, the idea that, like, you know, the slaves just spring out of the woodwork is kind of not really true. But if you say, I'll do a trade with you, where if you build me this banking bench, hey, I'll give you so many scenes with it, oh, that'll be really easy to manifest. Really <laughs> easy. So, yeah, you put it out there that you're down at woman, you'll do, you'll do trade for stuff, you'll get it, no problem. Ultimately, though, I think my advice to her would be don't do this if it's going to, if you, you know, it's going to destroy your relationship with your parents if they find out because their odds are that they may. Yeah. And if yeah. that gives you so much pause, if you don't think your relationship with your parents could survive that disclosure, then you are taking a huge risk. Yeah, I agree with that. Hi, Dan. I want to talk to the girl who has the rape fantasy in episode 90 and the disenchanted bottom from episode 91. Um, wanted to, they're sort of asking the same question. Um, I noticed um, that they are both looking for a relationship that will help them realize their fantasies, but they don't want 24-7 sort of thing. And I have to say, as someone who's been married to my bottom for 17 years, most people who are into this don't want 24-7. And they can, they're going to find someone who, who will be able to to indulge them without having it take over their lives. Um, just so I need to give them a little advice. Um, stay away from gatherings and the Internet because those are mostly about fantasy and bragging. And, you know, people say, oh, yeah, I have this slave. It's like maybe they don't, maybe they do, but you have no way of knowing if that's true. Um, if you do want to find someone who will indulge you like this, my best advice is to go out on a limb early. Don't date a guy for three months and then bring it up. Um, you know, while you're still flirting, make suggestions that you're this kind of a girl. You know, say, you know, if you're with a couple of guys, you know, make a kind of a joking comment like, oh, I'm a bad girl. Someone ought to spank me. Trust me. The tops in the room will hear that, and uh, you will get lots of attention. Um, as for guys who might be able to help you with this, um, I just want to say I found they're mostly better educated. It's just the more education they have, the more likely they're going to come across this and be more open-minded about it. Um, Guys that have a lot of experience, again, more likely to come across this and be open-minded about it. And frankly, the nerdier a guy is, the more likely he's going to be willing to try this out, and he's going to be a really nice guy about it. So look for the guys that spend a lot of time on the computer and are kind of nerdy and I think you can't go wrong. You were nodding so vigorously during that call I thought you were going to hurt yourself. (laughs) 
<laughs> well, she's she's right on the money. Yeah, especially about nerdy people being kinky. Nerdy geeky people are the kinkiest people, and I love that. Why is that? Because we think about shit all the time, and we're always like you know picking things apart, and and you know we, yeah like, like all the role playing games and the SCA and all the weird things that nerdy people do totally prep you to create these really elaborate sex scenes with lots of you know costumes, lots of moving and, parts. And yeah. Oh, totally. Widgets. Yeah. Yeah. The kinkiest guy I ever knew was a a tech jillionaire, of course. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds kinky up by itself. Yeah, it is totally my experience. Yeah, the kinky nerdy people are more likely to be pervy than like a you know a jock or someone like that. Not that jocks don't look really pretty, but uh, not so much with the thinking. And the twenty four seven thing comes oh up frequently in online chatter about S and M, and I think it gives people who are thinking about getting into S and M or exploring it or curious about it or going online and doing a lot of reading, which is not a bad first place to start. It's great. A really false impression of what actually goes on in the kink scene. Sweet Jesus Christ, does it? Yeah, yeah. The twenty 24- Four seven thing. It's like that's one of the biggest myths, and it isn't like well, for, I, we should actually probably define twenty four seven for oh, people who don't know what the fuck we're talking about. Right. When people say twenty four seven, they're referring to um, living and and sort of functioning in uh, a, a very structured DS dominant submissive relationship twenty four hours a day, seven days a week, basically all the time without breaking. Uh, and I think that's most of the time bullshit. Uh, yeah, and I yes, I mean, I'm feeling a bit stoned for this. And I have met people, a very few people, who did that kind of thing, but very few. Uh, I don't think most people are cut out to engage in this really um, highly stylized, highly fetishized, uh, unnatural kind of behavior with someone who is their primary, like, you know, love, romantic partner for long periods of time. It's just what not- happens when the bottom gets the flu? The top refuses to bring the bottom chicken soup because that would be serving the bottom yeah. what happens in the 24-7 thing when life intervenes in you, the sex scene you just can't yeah you can't do that you can't live like that like Mr. Benson or you know story of oh whatever all the time it's just not possible and yet people hold this out for themselves and then get really upset with themselves when they fail to live up to it and that's that's too bad I hate to see that uh, so so yeah I think that um I do think that bringing up kink early on in your kind of sexual romantic interactions with someone is a good idea, as we discussed. Uh, you don't want to, like, leave that until after the wedding vows are said. And, oh, by the way, um, <laughs> that's, that's – uh, and I don't think it's a bad yeah, – By the way, the previous tenant didn't put that – leave that pulley ceiling <laughs> over my bed. No, I put that there. No, so, yeah, bring it up and, and get it going on right away. Um, and people do, you know, even if he's not experienced already, you know, you can train someone if they have the, the basic instinct. Uh, but I do. I agree with everything that woman said about, yeah, 24-7 is not realistic. Most people don't do it. Uh, and uh, Go for the nerds. Go for the nerds. Seriously. Hi, Dan. Um, I've been married for eight years, and I'm probably – Bisexual. Anyway, I just wanted to thank you. I heard um, you advise a young girl a couple weeks ago. Um, she was afraid to tell people about her kinks. She was afraid that she'd turn people off or generally nervous. Um, and you just encouraged her to go forward and um, try it, or she'd be basically wasting her time. And so something clicked in me. I listen to you all the time, but after I heard that, I went downstairs to my husband, who was playing a video game in the basement, and I said, will you please tie me up? And he said, yes. And... Um, Anyway, it was it was fun that night, and um, I mean now every time I've asked him to try something or talk to him about it, he's been totally receptive to it and t- completely fun. And our anyway, I just feel like I have a whole new part of my marriage that is just um, exciting and fun and new after all this time. So 
Thank you so much for that. Um, last night, I was just minding my own business, brushing my teeth and getting in bed, and he hid in the dark and made a slip knot, and um, we had a great time. So thank you, and um, keep up the good work. You're helping so many people like me. Now, I don't want to put you out of business because so much of a professional dog's <laughs> business relies on people not disclosing and being too terrified to tell their spouse what they really want to do and, and outsourcing their kinks. <laughs> Let me relieve your mind of that anxiety, Dan, because I could clone myself and I could not keep up with all the people who want to see me. <laughs> so there's a huge backlog. So you just start with the what you've got and keep moving forward because I think that was a great story and I was very pleased to hear that and I slipped not. I'm a little frightened by that. But otherwise, it sounds awesome. And no, so please, please keep telling people. The... Um Circling back, sort of, you know, this couple is like exploring kink in a relationship. It brings me back to the first call, the couple where they wound up both being bottoms. Uh, and we've we've talked sort of jokingly, and I'm just joking that it, as if you're like the adultery machine, and people are running to you who are couples who are getting it. Um, there are a lot of couples who will go see a professional dom together when they start exploring BDSM because they feel like they need somebody in the room as training wheels to, to show them the reps, literally. Mm-hmm. And uh, how much of that do you do? You know, I used to do more. I will still do it occasionally. Um, I'm actually referring a lot of that stuff out to my partner, Max, who teaches lessons these days, um, just because I, I don't see a whole lot of new people anymore. Most of the guys that I see are people who have been coming to see me for five and seven and nine years, and I have these long-term relationships. And it's great, but they take up a lot of my time. So, I mean, I'm having to... Uh, I, I do enjoy couples. It's fun to teach people, but I'm, I'm almost forced to kind of say, you know, why don't you call this other lady because she's probably got more time for you than I do. Uh, but Max will do it too if you want a guy. But it is it is fun. It is fun to watch, especially when when she when she's a top and she kind of gets it. You see her face change, and she goes, oh, 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 okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's great. It's a good moment. All right, well, we're going to leave it there. Um, thank you so much for coming in, Matisse. Thank you for having me. It's been great. Uh, it is. It has been great. Uh, you can catch Matisse at her website, mistressmatisse.com, and there's a link to your blog there. Yes, yes there is. Uh, and Matisse writes a biweekly column, Control Tower for the Stranger. Yes, I do. And uh, Matisse is one of the few women on earth who see me naked. I have seen you naked in my living room. I had you naked in my living room. And we're not going to talk about the circumstances because <laughs> I'm a married man <laughs> whose partner has kept completely in the dark about so much. <laughs> It was a long time ago. It was a long time ago. 206-201-2720 is the number. You download us every week at thestranger.com slash savage. I blog every day at slog.thestranger.com. Uh, will you come back and do this with us again love sometime? To. Love to, love to, love to. We'll save up some more king calls and have you yes. back. Yes, yes. In the meantime, watch out for those Catholic priests. <laughs> they're drugs in their castles. 